Well, welcome to our Good Friday remembrance, and we are here to remember what Christ did for us on that uh, Golgotha Hill so many years ago. I want to thank you for coming. I want to thank uh, Jennifer, was a beautiful song you just sang, and Corey, thank you for your words. We're here as a church family, community of faith, brothers and sisters. For some of us, we've been Christians for a long time. It's not our first Good Friday. And yet we never want to get over it, do we? We can't. Not if we really believe what we say we believe. We can never get over it. And I wonder tonight if if the front of this church was all glass and the people that were driving by on Broadway could look in and kind of see what what are they doing in there and they see the cars and and they what's going on in there and and maybe if they could uh if they were able to see to to look at our faces and maybe even to look at our hearts and possibly they would say to themselves why are they so serious why why are they so reverent i thought this was good friday Based on the looks I see on their faces, it doesn't look so good. Why are they, why are they so reverent? Well, we want to make it clear tonight to everyone here, to ourselves, and most importantly to the Lord, that we are reverent tonight in a kind of proportionate reflection of the seriousness and the helplessness of our condition before God were it not for not just the cross, but who died there. A proportionate reflection. And my task here at the near the beginning of the service is to talk about the problem and to talk about why we are in, apart from grace, such a dire situation. Pastor Jim's going to come up in a little bit and talk about how the cross is the cure, and then we're, we're pointing all of this towards having the Lord's Supper together, just so you know where we're going here. So let's talk about our condition before God, were it not for the cross. And I have just one word summary for it, it's the word prison. Prison. I have four words to describe this prison, you can maybe look at these as the four bars of the prison. And here's the first one, sin, sin. Romans 3, verses 10 through uh, 20 is a very well-known passage of Scripture. And it begins with these words, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. It goes on at the end to say this, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. We can't understand what this is about tonight if we don't understand this word, sin, because this is the word that describes our big problem. We talked about sin a few weeks ago in our teaching ministry here, and we use this definition, you may remember it. Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. Act, attitude, or nature. 
You know, the story of sin is, it's a, it's, it's a, probably a familiar one to most of us here. Uh, but let's just tell the story again. And, and the story of sin begins in a most unexpected place. You would expect sin to come out of, crawl out of some dark, nasty corner of the universe. But it, it, it's the opposite of that. Sin comes out of the place of beauty and the place of harmony. It comes out of a garden. The story of sin begins with man. And man, prior to sin, was in perfect harmony. All his relationships were harmonies. He had harmony with uh, fellow man. He had harmony with nature. He had harmony with himself. And most importantly, he had harmony with God. And that relationship defined and contoured all the other relationships that he was made for. This relationship with God... God established with parameters to it. And these parameters were there so that Adam and Eve would love God first and love God most. And God put this moral parameter down and he said, listen, if you violate this parameter, you will surely die. And you can almost see Adam and Eve looking at each other going, what does he mean by die? What's the death? What's that? Because there was nothing that died in the garden. Nothing. Everything flourished. Everything lived. They could hardly imagine what death would mean. And no doubt they had no idea the magnitude of their moral decisions and the impact that they would have. Because if you know the story of sin, you know that this is precisely what Adam and Eve did. They violated God's moral parameters for that relationship. And as a result of that, death entered into the world. And it wasn't just Adam and Eve who died. The whole universe, in a sense, was distorted and corrupted and, in a sense, died from its perfection. You can think of the Japanese tsunami. We've all seen those pictures, haven't we, of what happened when the waters came over and that wave went through. It just destroyed everything, didn't it? Everything in its path wiped out. That's what sin was. In this world and in our relationships and in our hearts and our conscience and in our relationship with God, just everything destroyed in its path all the harmonies destroyed leaving god asking this question in uh in genesis 3 adam where are you where are you adam was in prison a kind of solitary confinement adam was in the prison of sin here's the second word to describe this prison is guilt guilt If you ask the average churchgoer, what is sin? They probably would say something like this. Or maybe I could say it this way. If I brought up, we've got children here. I see children in the first couple rows. If I brought one of these kids up here and I said, hey, why don't you tell everybody what is sin? It's likely they would say something like this. It's doing something I shouldn't. Doing something I shouldn't. And you know what? That is a part of sin. And there is guilt for doing something that we shouldn't. However, the Bible portrays this sin as much bigger than that. In fact, here's some verses that describe uh, what, what this is like. James 4, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And Isaiah 64, 6, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted 
garment. So we see the James passage, not only is sin not doing something that I shouldn't, it is also failing to do something that I should. We can look in the mirror and say, well, I, I can't think of anything that I should have done that I, or that I shouldn't have done that I did. Any big thing. Look at me. I must be righteous. I must be holy. And you know what? God comes along and says, you know what? Obedience means that you're doing things, uh, you're, you're doing what you should do. And how many of us are all the time doing what we should do? None of us are. We can even think of this week in our lives. How many opportunities we had to do what was right, to say the right word, to do the right thing. And we failed. This is known as the sin of omission. Jeremiah, the verse, the passage in Jeremiah explains why we fail so often. It's because our hearts are wicked. Our hearts are sinful. Desperately wicked. More than we even begin to understand. And this leads then to... The third verse, which is why even the, the third verse says, even the good things that we do in God's eyes, they're like, they're like, they're like unrighteousness. We come to find out that for a holy God, if our hearts are not right, even the good things we do merit nothing with Him. In fact, they are unrighteous to Him. Which you might be like, well, that doesn't seem fair. Well, here's what it's like, and I, I sort of like this analogy. Let's again take one of these kids that we have in the front row. They're wonderful kids. I'm sure that they would, maybe I shouldn't pick on these kids up here. Let's just take a kid in the back row that I can't see. And let's say his name's Johnny. And you know, it's been raining out the last, you notice it rained today a little bit. We had a little bit of rain today. And so the, it's all muddy outside. And let's say tomorrow morning, Johnny goes out to play in the morning. He's playing in the mud. And... He comes into the house and he decides that he's going to help his mom straighten up the living room. And so he says, I'm going to help, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to straighten up the couch. And so he gets all the little cushions and puts them, the white couch, all the little cushions and puts them in place. And he says, and these pillows, they need to be arranged right. And so he gets the pillows arranged all properly on the couch. And he looks at the white drapes and he says, you know, those drapes aren't straight. I need to straighten out those drapes. I'm going to straighten those drapes out, drapes out. And so when Johnny's done and he leaves and mommy walks into the room, is she happy? No, she's not. Why? Because even the good thing that Johnny did, everything he touched was dirty. And that's how we are as sinners. Now, to us, we just know other sinners, so it seems like we're okay. But in the eyes of a holy God, when our hearts are wicked and when we have this sin nature, even the good things that we do merit nothing with him. Don't make him happy. And we see then how our sin is far greater than we even begin to realize. Not doing what we ought to do. Doing what we shouldn't do. And even when we do what we ought to do in the eyes of God, meriting nothing with Him. And by this we see that in the eyes of God, every sinner, every one of us is compounding that guilt. Piling it up. Far greater than we begin to realize. Which leads then to the third word, which is wrath. Wrath. Romans 2. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You know, friends, God is angry at sin. You can't look at the cross and think sin's not a big deal to God. It clearly is. And when we recognize that in our moral and spiritual account before a holy God, all of these things that we do, good and bad, but 
bad because of a bad heart are it's piling up like a like a like a river behind it behind a dam just building up and building up and building up the wrath of God against us not just us corporately but against us individually apart from grace we stand before God as sinners as unrighteous and his holy wrath requires justice and this leads to in eternal punishment which is the fourth word that I have here hopeless hopeless we are guilty that wrath is building and from our perspective then we are in the bars of this prison because there is nothing that we can do there is nothing that we can somehow somehow merit favor with God. Nothing that we can do to restore that relationship that is broken. And yet we see God and we see his wrath rightfully coming down upon us. And we can try religion or some other thing to try to cover it up. But nothing takes care of the guilt before God. And so were it not for grace and were it not for the cross and were it not for Christ, our problem would be hopeless. There would be nowhere to go. We would just live our lives awaiting a final judgment, which, by the way, is eternal, separate from God in a place called hell. We're in a prison, and the bars of God's law are too strong, and the walls of his justice are too high, and there is no way that we can get out. And so... As the cars drive by and peek in through the glass and they think, why are those people so serious? It is because we must realize the starting point here. And we begin this understanding of what was so significant about Good Friday by recognizing it was our sin that placed him there, as the song says. And And to feel again this Good Friday, my personal guilt, my personal contribution... To what this represents each of us doing so and so we must never forget this starting point or we strip the cross of its true meaning and then there would be no reason to call this good friday good 